Well, hey there, Sandra Crawford Williamson and John Ramstead here recording another episode of the Eternal Leadership Podcast. And oh my goodness, you're going to just love today's guest. As a mother of three, I am so convicted by this woman. She talks a lot about the phases of your child's life, you know, the preschool phase where they need to know that we see them and we know them and they see us and that they know they're recognized, and that's how they get their sense of security. The grammar school phase where we need to um, know what they're doing, you know, know who their friends are, know what they're playing, know what their favorite snack is. And then those crazy middle school years when they don't even really know who they are, that we're there, we're, we're not, you know, we don't go away when they scream at us or when they yell at us or where they tell us that we're embarrassing, that that's when we cling to them even more. Because then in the high school phase, that's when they act like they don't need us, but they absolutely do. And Kristen Ivey, I mean, oh my goodness, John, the the content this woman has, I'm blown away. And then I meet her and I see, you know, how young she is. Like, just think of the amazing things she's going to do. Oh, it's amazing. It's, yeah, you know, what I was thinking of was two words, parenting demystified. You know, she went through these different phases and talked about where kids are and how they're thinking and a lot of those things that we're observing and seeing in our kids, a lot of those things sometimes that frustrate us, either in just conversation or how we're trying to give advice. You know what? There was something behind all that. And I got to tell you, for me, because I have kids in, you know, that are in middle school and high school, man, it was powerful. And here's the good news is regardless, you know, if you put your relationship with your kids on a scale of one to 10, one being horrible, right? Almost no relationship, 10 being amazing, wherever you are in that spectrum, you're going to find something in this interview that absolutely helps you move that up a plus one. And then from there, another plus one and then another plus one. So a little bit about Kristen. Uh, she's the executive director at a, at a group called the Rethink Group. Uh, and it's referred to as Orange, uh, the company. So her and her husband, Matt, they're parenting a whole bunch of kids. Uh, well, she has, uh, what, three kids now? Yeah, I believe yes. might, might be four, and uh, she started her three. career. At, yeah, three started her career at Orange in 2006. She's got a bachelor's in education from Baylor. She also has this master's of divinity in Mercer at Mercer University. And she shared something really interesting. She had, she heard people from both camps, Christian education. Hey, why are you getting your you know your divinity degree? And when she was going through her divinity degree, hey, why are you focusing on education? As if these were two separate worlds. And they're absolutely not. And she talks about how she just elegantly has brought those together and some incredible lessons for us as parents on how to do that. And she has two initiatives right now, Orange, and it's just a phase. And this is uh, just a an action-packed, some great takeaway interview. And if you guys connect to her website uh, at justaphase.com, man, there there's just some great things for you to read. So you're going to love this this conversation that Sandra and I had with Kristen. Well, good morning, Sandra. It is a beautiful day to for for another Eternal Leadership podcast episode, and we are excited to be here, aren't we? Oh my goodness, so excited about this guest today. She is like right in my life stage. I need all the help I can get from her. No kidding. It's Kristen Ivy. Kristen, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. This is great. Yeah, it's exciting to be here. You know, we talk so much about leadership and, you know, leading our teams and stepping into our calling and doing all this stuff and taking action. But, what, you know, one of the most important things, Sandra, that you and I talk about all the time is actually leading the next generation, starting with our own kids. You know, I have three boys. They're 20, 18, and 14. And 
all kinds of crazy things are happening in our in our house. Um, we're a new you know we're new grandparents, and one of my sons dropped out of college because it wasn't a good fit, and is off taking a gap year as a missionary in Europe and Africa. And then we have a fourteen year old, and I know you have three young kids, and we're you know what I and I when I teach leadership at the corporate level and in the military, and I'm going into the Pentagon. You know what I always share with them, Kristen, is the best, the best leadership in the lab in the world is take everything that you're learning and trying and go apply it at home. Because if you can lead teenagers, man, you, <laughs> you are going to rock it anywhere else. So trust me, no matter where everybody's at, you might be a parent uh, of somebody, um, you know what, or your friends are parents. And something you mentioned, you know, Kristen said uh, before we got started – and I love this perspective you is, is, you know, how do we even help those people that we're influencing at work to be the best parent that they can be when they get home? I was like, wow, that was awesome. So, um, but I would love to kick this off a little bit, uh, Kristen, and have you just share a little bit of your own personal story and how everything that you're doing right now to just equip and empower parents to have this amazing relationship and be able to just, you know, uh, launch their kids into really who they were meant to be and where that all came from. You know, um, I am not even sure where it all comes from, except that I have a passion for learning. Um, I've always been a little bit of an eclectic learner. So I had about three different majors in, in college. I say three, I had two majors and one minor, but they were all over the map. I was in biology classes and literature classes and um, came out of my undergrad education right into the world of teaching high school. And so I started out teaching high school, which is something I love when you're, you're saying if you can communicate what you're talking about in front of teenagers, you will win anywhere. Yeah. I definitely think there's some truth to that um, because teaching high school classes, you learn very quickly um, that your listener isn't just going to tune in because you – are smart or you have something to say, um, you have to really care about who they are and you have to begin um, becoming an expert, not only in your subject matter, but also in your audience, which I think is important really in any area of life, that you get to know the person you're talking to, that you begin to be fascinated with how you can take what you understand and communicate it in such a way that they actually care about it and see the benefit for their own life. Um, and that's just an extra step, I think, in communication and really in leadership in general anywhere. I found that what was true in the high school classroom teaching you know, sophomores and um, seniors is the same thing that's true in leading adults as well or any age group. If the information that you want to share with somebody isn't going to help them win, they may not really care about it. And so it's on you to go figure out as much as you can about that other person and how what you have to share will help them win so that you can bridge that gap um, and help bring them along the journey. Yeah, I mean, parenting is the absolute most important job that we'll have, right? And, you know, I jokingly say sometimes it's easier for me to go to work because, <laughs> you know, my kids are 12, 8, and 6, and the boys are 8 and 6, and then I have a middle school daughter in 7th grade. And, I mean, just the... The Nerf gun wars and the breaking of a lamp and, you know, we, we, we broke a vase again yesterday and, you know, just that physical phase. And then with well, the seventh grade daughter, you know, we're talking about hot topics and boys and 
you know, bodies and all sorts of stuff that, you know, is not for the faint of heart. So, you know, your curriculum blows me away. You know, I couldn't stop when I started researching you. I was just like, oh, give me more, give me more. So, you know, I'm, I I really want to decipher for our listeners because you have really distinct pieces of what you do. You have the phase project, And then you have Think Orange. So I think it'd be really helpful. And then you have these books that are just amazing. Like I want to read them all. So so talk to me a little bit. Let's start with Think Orange. So um, when I came out of the world of education, um, it was partly I joined up with Reggie Joyner. He was the founding family pastor at North Point Community Church when they um, got, first got started. He oversaw all of their age group ministries from birth through college. And um, he was branching off at this point in his career to help other churches focus on the next generation. And I was stepping away from my my years as a high school teacher. I had decided to go back to seminary and so went full-time through an MDiv program. And while I was pursuing an MDiv and studying theology and taking my Greek and Hebrew and all those courses. I was also working with Reggie on helping church leaders reach the next generation. And it was just kind of an interesting time in my own life because here I am studying Bible classes and theology as you know deeply as I can, as avidly as I can as a learner. And yet I have this background in education where I took child psychology and um, you know how to teach and pedagogy and all those things. And so in my world, um, helping church leaders reach the next generation, there was this kind of convergence of those two things, if you will, of theology and child development. And so often I would find myself in these conversations saying, you know, it really has to be both. Um, I had teachers and classmates in my theology school who would say, if you're going to work with kids and teenagers, you don't need to be here. You don't need this degree. And, you know, that would sometimes hurt because I would think, why... Why would we not know everything we can about theology in the Bible? I believe that you have to understand it even deeper if you're going to communicate it to children. And at the same time, um, there would be church leaders who would have kind of a mindset of, hey, all that it really takes is understanding theology. And if you teach the truth, if you teach the Bible, then all will go well. Um, And there was this missing element of saying, well, that, that may be true. But if you don't understand what's happening in the mind and and world of a preschooler, if you can't really ignite your imagination um, to put yourself in their shoes, then you may always fail at communicating what you think you're communicating. You can speak the truth, but they may not hear it the way that you think you're being heard. And so at Orange, um, we exist to really help get authentic faith into the next generation through preschool, through children, through middle school, through high school. And um, we believe that that is in a partnership with churches on the ground, local ministries that are providing community for families and for kids and teenagers, and also through equipping parents to do the work that only they can do, um, because no other person is there, you know, morning, noon, night, just like you're saying, it's the most exhausting work. I love when you were saying, you know, you sometimes need a break to go to work to get away from your kids <laughs> because I'm that so much. And I think every parent does, right? You have these moments where when you're parenting, it's just this mixture of needing to get away from your child desperately. And then the moment you're away from them, your heart wants to run right back and hold on to them. 
And so it's that constant tension of, I've got to be there. I've got to hold them. I really have to get away. They're driving me crazy. Uh, and so we wanted to be able to help parents right in the thick of that world of parenting um, and ministry leaders so that they can both together impact the next generation. Well, Kristen, I'd love for you to help me with something then, because I was actually just thinking about this yesterday. Right? I was talking with my son and I asked him a question like, all right, so I'm like, hey, why did you do that? He goes, I don't know. And I didn't think that was an acceptable answer. You know, I'm actually realized I realized later he honestly didn't know. And so right. here I am stuck in my 50-year-old brain and my rational thought and, and how I think. And I think actually relate, like you talked about, relating to them and how they think, where they're at in their stage of development. It's like two different worlds. And yeah. I would love your insight on, you know, when we're communicating to younger kids, elementary, middle school, high school, you know, what are some things on like how they're thinking, things that we need to be aware of? I love this, what you're talking about with convergence. So we can actually take some of the... In these conversations, the messages, you know, the things we want to share with our kids and have it actually land in a way that 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 uh, that they can use it that actually works for them. Does that make sense? Absolutely. You know, uh, one of my favorite things, I think, in that kind of moment is that sometimes we forget to just be fascinated um, by another mm. person. Mm. And we're so in our own heads sometimes on what we want to communicate. The next thing we're going to say in the conversation, the next thing that we want them to hear. And so we're listening to ourselves in our own head instead of pausing for a minute and just really being fascinated with the other person. Be fascinated with um, the preschooler, you know, who's pitching the fit or throwing the sandwich on the floor because it's exactly what you made them, but you didn't cut it the right way, you know, or whatever the moment is. But to pause for just a second and try to put yourself in their shoes or pause for just a second and lean in. Um, and you can't do this with a preschooler, but I think with your sons, just to say, you know, tell me more, you know, to put our own thinking and logic aside for a minute and say, you know, tell me more about that. Um, you know, with I, I've led a lot of um, teenage girls, small groups. And so I spend a lot of time with teenage girls and sometimes they don't always think the way that a rational adult would anticipate them to think, you know, and there can be a lot of emotions. Um, but sometimes when you lean in and, and you go, you know, just tell me more about that because they feel like their world has completely fallen apart because this boy that they were interested in for 48 hours, you know, hasn't texted them back or liked their photo. Um, but we can go, Hey, tell me more about that. You know, help me understand Tell me how you're feeling, what you're thinking, why you're thinking it. Um, because kids and teenagers, especially teenagers, you know, I'm kind of going into the teenage mode for a minute, but a lot of times they have to process out loud in order to figure out what they think. And you mentioned that your son said he didn't know. Maybe he didn't know. And that's an opportunity for him to talk for a little while to try to work out um, what he's thinking. And the best thing we can do sometimes as adults is come alongside just to be really great active listeners. Yeah. I mean, with a seventh grade girl, you know, and I loved reading the the stuff that you wrote about middle schoolers because, oh my goodness, it's spot on. It's like, um, you know, you're gaining weight, your body's changing, you have all these emotions, the teachers are treating you differently, the, you know, your parents still think you're a little kid, but you're starting to have crushes and, you know, all these things are happening and, you know, the boys are 
getting hair all over and shaving and their voices are changing in seventh grade, for goodness sakes. And, you know, you never know where you're going to get. That's what I always tell people with, with seventh graders. You, you One day you're <laughs> going to get they want to sit in your lap and the next day you're going to get I don't want to talk to you. And the next day I'm the most embarrassing human on the earth. Um, and then the next day she's crying and wants to hold my hand. I mean, it's just a, a roller coaster. But, you know, what I love, love, love about your content, it's great. I mean, people need to go to your website and, and just read this stuff because we're all in, in, in the society we live in. We're all spending all this money on activities and tutors mm-hmm. and dance class and you know stem club and technology we're in we're like we want our kid to be the best and the brightest and the happiest and all that stuff you know but but really and i love it because you list these things you say well yeah kids need a healthy diet and sure they need exercise and play time and study time and you list these things but then you say yeah that stuff's important but really every kid no matter their age location socio-demographic makeup you know what country they're in, what their parenting situation is. The one thing they need is you say, every kid needs for you to show up. Yep. And and you go by phases on why that's important. Could you talk about those phases? Because I just love that. Yeah. Like in, in, in preschool, why it's important and, you know, so forth. There's definitely nothing that can take the place of helping a child be known. Um and it's so much more important. I think every person. Kristen, when you when you say be known, what do you mean by be known? Um, that they feel like somebody sees them and sees value in them. And uh, I think every even adult person right needs has that that longing to be known for somebody to see them, to value them, to appreciate what they have contributed. Mm-hmm. Um, that's be affirmed just, for who they are and what they've done. Absolutely. Everybody feels that. Um, But for a child, it's even uh, a bigger deal. And here's why. When we go back into um, looking, and if you're into educator, you know, speak, a lot of what framed up our um, our research obviously started with some of the classics with Piaget and Erickson and kind of built on that with more research and more development on top of those. Um, But it's going back to this idea that as a child comes into the world, they really are forming their opinion of themselves by the way that they see other people see them. Mm-hmm. And so in order for a child to know that they have value, that they were created in the image of God, they need to feel like they see adults and they see other people who see that in them and who value that in them. And uh, in the, when a kid is even you know two years old, they're really becoming aware of who they are and what their capabilities are. And part of that is the way that they feel and watch and observe other people react to them and respond to them and treat them. And the same is true all the way up through adolescence. So there's nothing really that substitutes for showing up to be present and help a kid um, feel known. And I think, uh, you know, what you're asking about in the uh, through each phase. So we broke out the first 18 years of life in the phase project. Um, We basically said this. There are about 900 Um, and 38 weeks from the time a child is born until they graduate and move on to what's next. And if you're an adult in a kid's world, you have a number to those weeks. And as a mother, you know, there's a part of this that got a little bit depressing for me because it's, you know, you don't really want to think about the limit to your time because 
then you just want to run and go hold on to your kids and stop them from growing up and say, you know, please, please, please just stay six forever and ever and ever. Yeah. And it goes by way too fast. It, it does. And you know what? It, I will say this though. I think it snowballs because everybody tells you in that first year that it goes by fast and you're thinking this is the longest year of my entire life. <laughs> um, so I like to say it moves slowly for the first, you know, few months to a year and then it picks up pace and, I've definitely experienced that in my own parenting, that the older my kids get, the faster time seems to move. Mm. Yeah. And there's just a trick to it. And I, I don't know how that all works, but but time does pick up pace. And uh, each phase of a kid's life, though, has distinctive opportunities that you can leverage to influence their future. And they're different from the opportunities at any other phase of life. The opportunities that you have with a four-year-old are different than the opportunities you'll have with a 12-year-old. And it doesn't mean that, you know, if you've got a 17-year-old and you feel like you've botched it so far, you know, that's too late for you. There really is an opportunity at every phase for an adult to lean in um, and be present in a way that will change and shape a kid's future. Um, Children are actually actually incredibly resilient. And so um, one of the things that's encouraging is the way that kids will uh, give us the benefit of the doubt and bounce back from you know really difficult situations in ways that are amazing. So don't ever feel like it's too late. Um, it is never too late to lean into a kid's world. That's yeah. really great advice because there's so many working parents out there who I think sometimes just are so beaten down and, you know, like, uh, I, I just I can't do it and it's too late and you know I, I have to have childcare and I have to work to you know support my family but every single moment counts that's what I took away you know if it's literally seven minutes between the time you get home and when they fall asleep you still have an opportunity you still can make the right impact yeah and it's you know the small things over time that add up um, right. A lot of times as parents, I love that you're pointing to that parent guilt because we will look at our biggest failure and obsess over it. And our parent guilt doesn't make us better parents. Um, but we have got to give ourselves grace and go, you know what, that wasn't my best moment. And and all of us as parents, I mean, if you're honest, we have all had some moments that we would look at and go, hey, look, that was not great. I was not good there. Um, I didn't do right by my kids. But our kids need us to push through the guilt or push through those things that we feel like we're failing at just to show up and try again to do one small thing in their world. Um, whether that's just saying, you know what, I'm going to uh, go out and take you to lunch once a week and we're just going to listen and talk about whatever you want to talk about. But we're just going to put this on the calendar and go to lunch. And um, I think you were also kind of pointing at uh how busy we are a minute ago. You were talking about all the activities we have our kids in, all the things that we're you know, trying to juggle. And yeah, I, mean, I, I definitely yeah, resonate. Well, you yeah, know, let me, let me uh, kind of, well, I was going to build parents. on that too, because, you know, not only just being busy with the kids, but just be, being busy professionally. I, I got to tell you for myself, right. And some good parenting wasn't modeled for me growing up. And I was running a, you know, working at a job that was tremendous hours. So I would come home and kind of guilty that I knew I wasn't around. And Donna was bringing them to their practices. My wife, we've been married now 30 years. And 
And so what happened was that that guilty feeling manifested in me being very tolerant of bad behavior. Okay, and now mm. what happened was is I would tolerate this bad behavior until I hit a breaking point, and guess what then? Instead of having a conversation, I would yell at the boys. And so I had actually created this dynamic uh, over time that had really kind of estranged my relationship with my boys. And it, it took a, and, and so I think a lot of it too as a parent is, is realize, right, this pressure that we create. Um, and it wasn't about going in and just having some, you know, kind of a big talk or a reset with the kids. I had to intentionally come in and kind of understand what they needed and where they were and make a, you know, a choice to change my thoughts, my feelings, my actions, and how I was showing up because what I realized, well, I think the start of this was, uh, is what, where, you know, uh, what was, where did I want to get to? And you know what? I wanted to have a relationship with my boys that I didn't have with my parents when I was young. And I saw where I was going and I had to start making some changes. And, you know, some of the things you talk about, I know, you know, in the phases, if you look right, it's, uh, I, so what I want to, I, I share that story because my relationship with my boys today is incredible, even though we've had to go through some tremendous difficulties in our family, is that wherever I think a parent is at, whatever mistakes that we've made, wherever I think the state of that relationship is now, whether it's healthy or very broken, um, I, the good news is, especially through prayer and with Jesus in the mix, is there's always a step forward back into redemption and reconciliation of that relationship. And that's one of the things also about your phases that, you know, I, I think uh, it gives people the tools to kind of connect to where the kids are at that time and start making changes ourselves to show up and meet them where they're at, if that makes sense. And I, I think there's some commonalities between these phases that I'd love to hear you kind of talk about. Um, so people, you know, wherever we are as a parent, we can start reconnecting with our kids and growing that healthy relationship and building that foundation. It's, it's interesting um, when you talk about the guilt and uh, you, you mentioned just briefly working moms or you know, dads who are busy in their career. And somewhere recently, I was reading about the state of the American family and the last from some last census data. And I think it was somewhere around 85% of dads would say they don't spend enough time with their kids mm. and or say that. And this, this was not a religious study or this was just kind of um, U.S. parents that had been asked that question. And that was regardless of socioeconomics or any demographic information. So there is a sense in which most of us feel like, hey, we're not spending enough time. Um, but I think if we shift our thinking and begin to look at the time that we do have um, with more intentionality, we can let go of the guilt of the time that we know that we're not together and go, okay, but I'm going to make the most of the five minutes. You know, whatever the moment is when we're driving from one place to another or when I tuck them in at night, um, this is when I'm going to show up and I'm going to make the most of that, that time together and begin to for what you can do um, with intentionality and let go of the things that you know you might not ever be able to do or you might not ever be able to do as well as you want to do. Um, I think that's really important. When it comes to the different phases, we can say it is a little bit different. So um, in the preschool years, if you have babies, um, toddlers, preschoolers, these are the physically demanding years. Um, the good news is, you know, I, I had parents in that season of life that said, don't you know, just wait, it gets harder. And like, that's not very encouraging. Um, 
what they I wish they would have said is, okay, it will get less physically demanding. It just mm-hmm. shifts um, into a different kind of intensity. Um, but it does get less physically demanding. You're not still carrying your child around 24 hours a day when they're 12, 13 years old. So that's good news. You know, they get to feed themselves. They get to go to the potty themselves. And there is kind of this um, miracle that happens when you enter the phase where those things kind of just magically happen without you. Um, but when you're in those demanding years, your kids are in some of the most impressionable years of their lives. And uh, the more we dug in and did more research into phase, um, the more we became just adamantly passionate about these preschool years. Um, before a kid can even articulate, before they can even talk to you with words, there's so much going on inside of them um, that's forming who they will be. And we like to say all the time, they're asking, am I questions in this phase? Um, am I safe is the primary question of this phase. Am I safe? Am I able Um, Am I good? These are the kind of questions that a preschooler is asking. And so your primary role as a parent or as a volunteer, as a leader, as any adult that engages with preschoolers is to help answer that question in the affirmative um, by embracing their physical needs consistently. If you can create a world where their physical needs are met, you're showing up in their world to say, you know what, you are safe and, you know, the world can be trusted and you leave on a preschooler an imprint of trust and it will shape the rest of their life. Um, there's all kinds of um, all kinds of articles written about that. But the more you can impress on a preschooler that sense of trust that they can trust the world and that they are safe, um, you are doing a remarkable work. In the elementary school years, uh, these are really kind of fun, sweet years. Right after they're able to do everything by themselves, but right before all the emotions of puberty kind of kick in. Um, and then this season of parenting, you know, it's important to realize that our kids are wanting to discover more about themselves, that they're wanting to know, um, you know, do I have your attention? Do I have what it takes? Um, do I have friends? They're asking some more personal questions as they begin to come into a sense of themselves. And one of the most important things that you can do as a parent, as a leader, when you have an elementary school kid, and this kind of seems weird, like we're overstating something here, um, but we say it's to engage their interests. And if I were to really even simplify that even more, I would just say, play with them. In these elementary school years, it is so critical and valuable that you laugh together and that you play sometimes and that you just have a lot of fun. And it feels like I'm making a big deal out of something that's so small. But before you hit uh, middle school and adolescence, it's just critical that we have a play history together. Because playing together does something nothing else does and it, it deepens our connection it deepens our relationship so we can look back when, you know, rough waters hit and storms hit and things kind of become tumultuous. We can look back and go, hey, we have memories together where we just had fun, where we laughed, where we played. Um, and there's just a lot to be said for the way that you hang out and just enjoy each other in that season. Um, in middle, well, Yeah, I love I love the way you say it. You say that we should just be fascinated with who they are at that stage and that they're discovering a new idea and a new experience, you know, every day, every moment. And they just want us to kind of go along and discover this new stuff with them and to be, even if it's like something we've done every day, the rest, you know, for our entire lives, to be excited and surprised and like, oh my goodness, look at this. Look, you know, you can hit a football off of a tee now. That's amazing. 
Um, and to have that energy and that excitement about, you know, these these new things they're discovering and that that builds the trust for a lifetime. I love that. And we do have to be careful. I think in the, in the elementary school years when they're um, trying new things and like you said, uh, part of this is we want to get them in different activities because we want them to experience something and um, practice a skill. But it's also important for us to remember that just because they threw a touchdown pass on the little league team doesn't mean they're going to be a professional football player. And that's okay. It's okay to just celebrate the past for what it was that they had a really great moment um, in this stage of life. And we love to watch them play. We love to watch them exercise and it doesn't necessarily determine who they're going to be, you know, 20 years from now, 30 years from now. Uh, we can just enjoy the moment encourage them and the work and the perseverance, you know, in the effort that they're taking and uh, not necessarily kind of jump forward 30 years, which is a tendency that I know we all have. Yeah, I think we'll have to have you back just to talk about youth sports and where it's heading today, where we're trying to make second graders, you know, the the next uh, rookie of the year (laughs) recipient. Um, (laughs) That's a whole other topic, right, John? Yeah, let me just say one thing on that, because I think it's really helped serve our relationship with our boys and their identity. Instead of focusing on their performance, right, did, you know, how many points they scored, did they, how many tackles, how many, you know, uh, you know, how well they did as a pitcher in baseball, I always focused on how they interacted and led the other kids on the team, what their effort was when things were kind of going against the team. I didn't want to put them in the mode of trying to always compare themselves to the other kids on the team where they felt their their love or my praise was conditional on an actual performance. I wanted to make sure it was from who they were and it was coming from, you know, the areas of their character. And I think if we can, because I mean, all of us who've been involved in youth sports, we've all seen those parents that we never want to be. They're they're trying to live vicariously through their kids' achievements, and man, I think that is so damaging to the kids and the relationship, uh, in my opinion. But that's so just just a thought out there. Just shift things from focus getting your kids to compare, uh, and what you want to do is have them compete with their best self. That's great. Yep. Yeah, a lot to be said on. On that, and those moments when you become the worst version of yourself, and you think, "I don't know why I just did that, or why I just felt that way," um, it's a tough world sometimes um, to try to be the parent you want to be, um, surrounded by pressures sometimes to be a little bit different. You know, I love that what you say in elementary years. You know, they need to know that we know them, and just little things like you know memorizing their class list, so you know the names of all the kids in their class, and knowing what their favorite snack is, and knowing what their favorite class is, and what books they like to read. Just those little familiar things. Just you know, they just light up. I mean, I see it every day in my boys. They just light up. And it just it doesn't take that much. That's the thing. We're going it's like we're 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 past as parents, we pass up the easy stuff and we go to try to do these big gigantic efforts and really it, it's the easy stuff that they need and want. Sure. And it is also interesting that we will have to rediscover our kids. I think one of the struggles of parenting is you think you know your child better than anyone else because you think, you know, I've known you longer than anyone else, you know, I you know, 
I understand. I was there when you took your first steps or whatever it is. You go back and you go, I know you. I know you. I know the things you want. Um, but our kids are changing and they're in a season of life when it's they're meant to change and they're meant to try on new identities. One of the misconceptions that adults have with especially preteens and middle schoolers can be that um, maybe they're um, they're fake, you know, or they're trying to be someone they're not. And actually, that's part of growing up, that they need to try on multiple personalities and and go, you know, which one feels like it fits. And sometimes a kid will try out something that as a parent, you look on and you go, wait, that's not you. Who are you pretending to be? Who are you trying to be right now? Um, but that's mm-hmm. part of the growing up process. And so as parents, sometimes we have to go, OK, tell me who you are today. Um, in the elementary years, usually you can get away with, you know, tell me who you are this month you know, as they're changing, but in those middle school years, and you know this more than anybody right now with a 12-year-old girl, sometimes you have to rediscover them every few minutes. You know, you're going, wait, 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 a minute ago, you were this person, but today, you know, right now, you're that person, and she's expecting you to relate to her kind of whoever she is in the moment, but you don't ever know who that is, and so it's just the constant practice of saying, okay, Help me understand who you are right now. Help me understand what you like right now. Um, you know, because those things are kind of evolving and shifting. Yeah, I think if, if there's a parent of a middle school girl out there listening right now, you have to go to Kristen's website, justaphase.com, and read the article, 35 Reasons My Middle Schooler Might Be Freaking Out, because it is our life every day. And, you know, you, you think that you're the only one having that, right? I woke her up on time. She's freaking out. Her school won't let her wear leggings and pants. She's freaking out. I drive a minivan. She freaks out. You know, I asked her questions. She freaks out. I don't know who her friends are today. I took her selfie stick. I volunteered to chaperone the class trip. Oh, my goodness. The biggest scandal ever. Right. And so it's 35 things. You know, there's not a taco emoji on her phone. I'm embarrassing. She wore the same shirt today as a friend. I mean, it's hilarious because... You know, it's I woke her up on time. I didn't wake her on time. She has the same freak out reaction to both. So it's it's a funny uh, article, but it also makes us feel like, you know, there's there's uh, they're not alone in all there. Yeah. I mean, misery loves company. Right. It's like, oh, my goodness. Every middle school, you know, girl's mom is feeling a lot of these things. And so it's it's it just makes you go, okay, all right. I'm not the only one. There's nothing wrong. This is normal. Right. I had a a friend of mine who's actually written a lot about um, adolescents and does a lot of work with adolescents. And so um, it's just it's interesting because she's been in this world for so long and she's now the mother of a middle school girl. And she texted me. I just went to our texts from the other morning. She said, I need to rewrite all the things I ever wrote for parents on teenage girls, starting with the age of eight and just add a lot more cussing. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. Well, it's just, you know, they they need uh, predictability because they're changing. Their bodies are changing. Their brains are changing. Their hormones are changing. Everybody's changing around them. And so what they really need us to be is their solid, predictable rock and not react. And that, you know, I'm a very reactive, passionate person. And so I literally have this technique. I bite the inside of my mouth. 
Mm-hmm. And I just stare at her <laughs> and I try to like slightly nod and raise my eyebrows because of what I want to, you know, say is like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? But I have to be calm and predictable and be her rock because she's swirling, right? So I can't also be a swirling reaction. So, uh, it, but it, oh my goodness, every single day, I, I tell people all the time, I, I ran a $3 billion company and I can't parent a 12 year old without crying, you know, at least once a day. What we say about middle schoolers, and I'll jump on that because what you just said was, I, I mean, absolutely perfect. And in every way, um, to paint the picture of the instability of that season and whether it's girls or boys, you know, they guys tend to hit the season a little bit after um, a little bit older than girls. Um, but it's still pretty much the same. And we tell parents all the time, the one thing that they need is someone to affirm their personal journey and um, that we've never met a middle schooler that was overly affirmed. If you want to know what you need to do as a parent of a middle schooler is to take everything you think you should do to affirm their personal journey and multiply it by about 100 mm-hmm. um, because you are huge in their worlds. And when you've got all the multiple things going on in your life, maybe you're parenting other kids, maybe you have a work or career or thing that you're pursuing over here, you've got all these you know, plates spinning and they're kind of just one thing in your world. Um, to them, you are everything and a big deal and, and far bigger than they're ever going to let you know because they're going to act like they don't care. And they right. they'll push every button that you have. And yet when you can lean in consistently, when they push you away, you lean in harder. You know, when they yell and scream and, and it's irrational, you come in even closer to just say, I, I see you. I value you. I respect you. Um, you see the best version of them and keep reminding them of the best version of themselves and who you see that they can be in those years. You know, be that anchor, mm. just like you said, to affirm that their personal journey again and again and again and um, to model for them forgiveness and letting go of their worst behavior. You know, they probably hate you sometimes because you've seen their worst behavior and you have to be there to verbally tell them, I don't see you as that. I see you as the best version of you. Um, and I believe that you're, you're headed there, that you are going to be this great version of you. And, and to just lean in and affirm that personal journey, um, is the most important thing in those middle school years. And it can be really hard because you kind of want to go, what do you mean? You forgot the thing I told you 800 times before you walked out, you know, (laughs) how why am I your backpack to the school for like the third day in a row and you can't get out the door with your backpack. I mean, there's all these things that kind of fall apart here. Yeah, Kristen, I I think that's so, uh, you know, so important to keep front of mind because we're affirming the person, but not maybe the behavior. And, you know, and here's a question I'd love to kind of end on uh, with our time because, you know, from let's say eighth grade through 12th grade, and this is something my wife and I have really tried to be intentional about. And that is really developing our kids' own, you know, sense of identity that's authentic, uh, that they have confidence in, but also their faith, you know, uh, because their faith can't be, you know, uh, their mom and dad's faith. It has to be their own and has to be personal. And what are some things that we can do to really impact their identity and their faith as they're kind of going through the, you know, those phases as they're really kind (laughs) of stepping into, you know, their own self and kind of creating that independence and sometimes feeling like they're pulling away a bit. 
Well, in order for a kid to be independent, they have to pull away. Yep. And that's what hurts. And that's what's hard. Um, you know, I think with high schoolers, they're going to pull away in ways that you didn't think about and not always in the ways that you thought about. I think about a friend of mine who's got high schoolers who was just being honest um, recently and all of a sudden had this breakthrough moment. Um, she's, uh, I hope I can say this, is not really, I'm not making a political statement here, but she votes Democrat. She's a Democrat. Um, and her child was forming the opinions that they may be a Republican. <laughs> she thought, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> I thought through what happens if you don't go to church. I thought through what happens if this and this and this. I never thought about that. Um, and we were kind of joking about it because, right, it doesn't really matter what political party you vote. You know, what, what I guess I'm trying to point out is I feel like as teenagers pull away, they will always question some beliefs that you hold dear or they may begin to, to ask questions that you feel uncomfortable with. Um, you know, there are parents who will say, you know, I don't understand why they won't connect at our church. They want to go to a different youth group. Um, there's all kinds of things that come up. Um, and it's just important if you want them to be an adult who's an individual with you know thoughts of their own, that means they will think differently than you. It may mean that they choose to believe something not exactly the way that you believe it. And so uh, a lot of parenting is going, you kind of got to control some things when they were younger. You kind of got to you know, shape things more directly when they were younger. And as they get older, you have a little bit less control and you're shifting more into influence. Remember that your goal is to have a relationship with them in the end. Not that they're going to be a mini you that thinks exactly like you um, or chooses exactly like you would choose all along the way, um, but that you still have a relationship with them and that you hope in the end that they come to believe in God on their own, um, that they have an authentic faith, and it'll take a different turn than your journey. It'll be their journey. And uh, the hardest thing you can do sometimes is watch someone else's journey and you can't control it. You can't do anything to, you know, manipulate the circumstances around them or change the decisions that they're going to make um, as much as you would want to, that you have to kind of go along for the ride and go, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to show up for you no matter what. And your own life, your own devotion to God is something that they're going to see. And when you care about God, you love God and you love them. That will influence them regardless um, of where they go and what they choose. But in the high school years, something that we say is a parent's role is to mobilize their journey, to mobilize their faith um, so that they can move out into the world and be the person that God created them to be. Trusting that God is working in their life, um, trusting that God is not going to give up on them, trusting that he's going to be in their world and in their circumstances, and he will pursue them the same way that he pursued us. Um, but it's hard, hard, hard. And this is where I think parents would lean in um, and say it only gets harder. What they meant was not more physically demanding. They meant emotionally um, that there is this demand, that it is hard work to go. I am going to, in my, to the best of my ability, figure out how to let go um, of you into a world that I can't control um, and encourage you, come alongside you but that there is a sense of preparing you to leave um, and be your own person. That is that's wow. so on point there. 
Kristen, and man, there's so much more we could talk about. Love to have you back on. How how do people get to find out more about you and, and what you're doing? Well, right now, I know you, you referred to the Phase Project several times, so any of the listeners can check out Phase Guides, um, P-H-A-S-E, guides.com, and uh, forward slash eternal leadership, so that will take you right to um, any listener right now from this podcast. Um, you can find me on Instagram or Twitter, at, and I have a website, kristenivy.com, so you can um, check it out there, and I would love to be back anytime. It's been a very fun conversation. Yes, it has. Now, as, as we kind of wrap up, any final just couple thoughts you'd like to leave with the audience? Um, you know, I just, I always leave with just the thought as a parent to say, you know, you can do something now, you can do something today, whatever phase you're in. Um, and, you know, give yourself a lot of grace in the parenting journey to say, you know, today is a new day. We're going to start again. Uh, no matter what happened yesterday, no matter what's happening in your world, um, but just do what you can to rediscover your kid and to show up in their world. That's awesome. Such an important mission, such an important topic, isn't it, Sandra? Oh, my goodness. It's it's just so... I mean, I've teared up several times because we we can't give up. Every moment counts. They want to absolutely know that we know them. We see them, who they are, even when they mess up. You know, we hear them. And then it's just the, the moment-to-moment things that count. You know, and then when, when they push us away, don't go away. You know, just kind of maybe go a couple feet away. But, you know, when they start pushing us away, that's actually when they need us even more. Wow. And they need to know that we're going to be there and we're going to be predictable. Um, just so so convicting. I'm. We've just been so blessed by you today. Thank you so much. This was a very, very great to be here. Thank you, Kristen. If there's anything we can do to help you, let us know. And uh, have an awesome rest of the week and look forward to talking to you again soon. All right. Sounds good. Bye.